0: If you would uh, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. Uh, This is a classic, amazing passage. It's the prologue to the whole Gospel of John. And I want you to think about what I'm about to say here. Um, Unless you were alive in 1918, um, you probably have not experienced a Christmas season like 2020. Christmas, you had a pandemic, and so it's not unusual, not unusual at all that we would say something like this, and I want you to fill in the blank, why do I feel so, and fill in the blank. You know, it's anxiety, it's fear, sadness, depression. Maybe you're fine. And if you say, I feel so fine, then why? So why do I feel so? And we follow that with, I don't know why. Why? I just, I just don't know why I'm feeling the way I do. Well, I want to dig deep into this text. And as I read it, and as we look at it, there are two words that totally stand out in the first 14 verses of John 1. And it's the word, word, and it's the word light. Word and light. So let's look at John 1, reading at verse 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. He was not the light, but He came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray and ask God's help as we look at this passage. Father, You know our hearts. You know how we filled in the blank. Why do I feel so? And we pray that this text will give us understanding of ourselves as we come to know Jesus in such amazing ways as it's given to us in your word. So we pray that you bless the preaching of your word. We pray the Holy Spirit will do something with us. We pray the Holy Spirit will grab our hearts and apply this word. And we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sinclair Ferguson... Um, Talks about Advent and the four Sundays of Advent, and in his preaching and in his teaching over the years and his writing, he uses four words to um, to describe the four Sundays. The first word he uses is expectation. O come, O come, Emmanuel. The second word he uses is incarnation, which we'll be looking at today. Uh, Hark the herald, angels sing. Hail the incarnate deity. Expectation, incarnation. Third word is celebration. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The fourth word is adoration. O come, all ye faithful, come, let us adore him. Expectation, incarnation, celebration, and adoration. Now, with incarnation, and that's part of where we're going to be this morning, the two words, and let's talk about them. The first is the word word, and the second is the word light. In this text, who is the word? Well, we know the word is Jesus, And what is so powerful about this is that Jesus has always existed, has an eternal identity and deity. And to say that Jesus, the Word, became man, does not diminish God. One writer, commentator states that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation presents a, a stupendous view of God and tells us that Jesus Christ is all that God is. In the beginning, God created. And here in this passage, we read the very same thing. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. So this, this, he's Jesus, and it's this eternal identity. Now think about this. Philosophically, there there was never a time when there was nothing. Now we know that God created the world out of nothing. But God has always existed. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The God who was always there. But then speak, Then spoke the world into existence out of nothing. No substance, no material. But God and Jesus have always been. Now this is, this is really important about Jesus is because there are some who would think that or lead us to believe that Jesus has not always existed. That he was created. It was some kind of Arian heresy or docetism, which said he just appeared to be real. But he was not fully God. And this this is an amazing... uh, This is an amazing foundational aspect of our whole Christian faith. The whole foundation of what we believe. And this word, who is Jesus... And this is where it gets really amazing. This word that is Jesus actually, verse 14, takes on human flesh. This is what we call the incarnation. That God became man and actually had flesh and bones. And the thing about the flesh is not that it was just an appearance like us, it was a man and it was flesh and it was bones, but there's more to flesh than just a body. Because often when we talk about the flesh, we're pretty negative about it. In other words, we talk about the, the lust of the flesh. Or we talk about weakness and, and frailty. Or we talk about the fact that uh, somebody was just in the flesh. It's not really positive at all when we, when we talk about the word flesh. Flesh. And yet, that's what Jesus became. He became one of us. Now, what's so intriguing about that is that you know us. (laughs) You know yourself. You know your heart. You know your weaknesses. You know what you put in the blank when I said fill in the blank. You know your weaknesses and your failures. And you know that you're frail. And you know that your heart is dark. And you know that you struggle. And you know that you doubt your faith. You doubt that you're a Christian. You doubt that all of this is true. You wonder... What, what am I doing believing this? I mean, and we, we all have those moments. And when Jesus took on human flesh, when he became a man, He did three things. First thing he did was he embraced it. He embraced the human race, which is pretty mind-blowing. That he would give up who he was in heaven at the right hand of God and embrace the human race. We sing in one of the Christmas hymns, he did not abhor... The virgin's womb. He embraced it. He embraced being born of a virgin. Coming into this world and taking on human flesh. He embraced it. Second thing he did, he identified with it. And in identifying with it, he understands your weakness... He understands how you filled in the blank. He understands your suffering. He understands your disappointment. He identifies with you. And writers in the New Testament mention this. We know that we have a high priest who... Is very sympathetic to us. We have the one named Jesus, the Word, who identifies with our our sin, yet he never sinned, but he understands our sin. He understands the power of sin. He's embraced the human race. He's identified with us. The third thing, he affirms the fact that we are a body and soul. He acknowledges the fact that the body can be weak. He acknowledges the fact that the soul can doubt. There was a heresy known as Gnosticism and it was picked up by a lot of liberal theologians that would basically deny the incarnation because they didn't believe in the material. And therefore, all the emphasis was on the soul. And therefore, Jesus would not ever consider becoming a man because... It is so bad. And that's why Jesus cared so much about the weak and the poor, the hungry, those who are in prison, those whose bodies were failing them, those whose bodies were and souls active in sin. No one showed compassion like the Lord Jesus in that human flesh. Dorothy Sayer comments on the fact that you can call the incarnation amazing. You can call it stupendous. You can have doubts about it. But she says one thing, it's not dull as you think about it. Think about God becoming man. It's not dull. She said, if you think the incarnation is dull, what in heaven's name is going to be exciting to you? I don't know if you still have, gras- have grasped it. That the word is Jesus and he became a man. And then the Word is glorious. In verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's glory is revealed in Jesus as the Shekinah glory was revealed in the tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle, the gathering place, in the Old Testament. And there the glory of God would be talked about and would be revealed and manifest in that tabernacle. Well, it's interesting that John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and you look at the raw. Uh, literal translation of that word it was that he tabernacled among us he pitched his tent among us just like the tabernacle he put up a tabernacle and that tabernacle is with us And that tabernacle dwells with us by the Holy Spirit. That tabernacle is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the glory. A picture of God's covenantal love. It's full of grace and full of truth. The Word is Jesus, the Word became flesh, and the Word is glorious. Now, what about the light? In verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, when you talk about light, there's one assumption you have to make. There's an antonym that light assumes darkness. Now, there's different types of darkness. There's actually a literal darkness, and you've experienced that. Sun goes down, it gets dark. We have artificial light, but if you have no light, it's dark. One One of the funniest and yet one of the scariest things about darkness happened in the first church I ever pastored. We met in this old, old Victorian house. And had been uh, redone and was, was really a beautiful place to meet for 120, 130 people. And we had two deacons um, that were a little older, Ben and Billy. And Ben and Billy were, actually Ben and Billy were, they were like, they were buddies and they were, kind of, they were characters. And so they were coming to the church building to do something. And it was really dark. And we'd had one of those joint session deacon meetings where we spent two hours arguing about whether we were going to put some lights up or not outside. You know how those meetings go. Two hours about, are we going to put up lights or not. So it was still dark. We didn't have the lights yet. And they were coming to the church to do something. So Ben got there early, before Billy. And Ben went into the dark building, locked the door behind him so Billy would have to use his key. And Ben just stood by the door out of the way and put his hand over the light switch. Flesh. Over the light switch. And Billy walks in, not knowing of course, Ben's there and it's dark and he unlocks the door and he starts to fumble for the light switch and puts his hand on that flesh. Well, the last time we saw him, he was running way up what was called Kanaw Avenue. And uh, I'm not sure he was ever the same after that. But that's the kind of, and, and there's things about the darkness we're just afraid of. And you would certainly be afraid if you felt something like that. Not expecting that at all. It would be bad enough in the daylight, but at dark, oh. Okay, that's, you know, and, and you've had these dreams, right? You've had these dreams of, of um, where you can't get your eyes open the one I have is I can't get my eyes open and I'm driving and I'm going like 100 miles an hour and I cannot get my my eyes open. I just know I'm going to crash. And when you wake up, oh, you're so happy you woke up. And it's really crazy the kind of things we experience in the darkness or when our eyes are completely closed to light. That's literal. I'll get a little more serious. There's emotional darkness. We talk about people being in a dark place. We refer to depression as a stubborn darkness. It's hurtful. It's scary. We can't find the light. can't seem to get out. So it's literal Emotional. And then there's a spiritual darkness. Spiritual darkness is that we're blind to our own condition. We are lost and we don't know it. It's like being lost at night. Lost in the darkness. Cannot find your way. You can't get a reference point. And it's a blind spot right here. That's why people do the craziest things. We ask questions. Well... well Why did you do that? Or what were they thinking? And it's this blind spot. Spiritual darkness, blind to our own condition, lost. The literal, emotional, spiritual. Then there's a fourth darkness. It's It's an evil darkness. It's like being given over to the devil. It's the display of our wicked hearts. It's the bad, evil things that people do to other people. Nothing but evil. Lost. Helpless. Blind. There's an author that some of you probably heard of. A woman named Trish Warren wrote The Liturgy of the Ordinary. She had an article last year in the New York Times. It was an op-ed. And the title of the article was Want to Get in the Christmas Spirit? face the darkness so the title kind of grabs you you want to get in the Christmas spirit well then you got to face the darkness and she writes for Christians Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birth that light has come into the darkness and as the gospel of John says the darkness could not overcome it but Advent bids us first to pause and look with complete honesty at that darkness. Now do you, re- do you really understand the darkness of your heart? She says, "We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, darkness, and Advent holds space for our grief. And it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but we're also wielders of it. Participants contributing our own moments of unkindness and impatience and selfishness. Not only... Are we wounded by evil in the world, but we participate in it? Have you faced your darkness? She says, American culture insists that we run at a breathless pace from sugar-laced celebration to celebration. Three months of Thanksgiving, Christmas, then the Super Bowl, Mardi Gras, Valentine's Day, Cinco de Mayo, 4th of July, and on and on. We suffer from a collective consumerist mania that demands that we remain optimistic and shiny and happy and having fun, fun, fun. And she says, though, that life is not a Disney cruise. The light assumes the darkness. That's sort of the bad news. But in this text, there is a true light. Look at verse 5 through 9. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. All right, there is a true light. And darkness does not overpower this light. This is one of the most encouraging things we we pull out of this passage about light, is that darkness cannot overcome it, Darkness d- does not overpower it. There is no such thing as a flash dark. You don't have a little device and you hit the switch and all at once everything goes dark. You can turn out some lights, but it never overpowers light. The darkness can't do it because there's a true light. Now, the witnesses are not the light. We testify of the light. John the Baptist here in this text testified of the light. But the light is exclusive. Jesus is this light. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the light. You know, we, we've heard these sayings. We talk about, well, it's like somebody turned the lights on. You know, it's like, you saw I saw their face and it was like for the first time the lights came on. Or, spiritually, people used to say for years, something to this effect. um, uh, He saw the light. I'm glad he saw the light. I'm glad she saw the light. Jesus says, John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This true light brings us redemption. It's a redemptive work. It's how we get it. Verse 11. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This redemptive work is outside of us. The gospel is outside of you. It is not in you. We don't believe in the enlightenment of ourselves to where we can change just as we think or reason. The gospel is outside of us. And we are born of God what he's saying here and it's not the work of man or your will but it's the work of a sovereign God who takes out that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh Paul says in Colossians 1 that he delivered us from the domain of darkness that's your world it's my world The domain of darkness. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's the work of God. It's that redemptive work. Because he is the light. And Jesus is the light. He's the true source of the light. Because in verse 10. He made it. Jesus made the light. He was in the world. And the world was made through Him. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And here the Scripture tells us, and in other places, that Jesus is the Creator. He understands light because He made it. Created it. And what does He do? The true light which comes, enlightens everyone. It's coming into the world. The true light which enlightens everyone coming into the world. Verse 9, the word enlightens or enlighten is a word that we get our word photo from or photograph. And you can see it. Jesus Is the photograph of God. Jesus is the picture. Of God. In John 14. Jesus is with his disciples. And Philip. Comes to him and says. Show show us the father. And Jesus. Guys. I have been. With you for a long time. I have been with you so long. And he says. If you have seen me. You have seen the father. That's why this is not dull. The word is Jesus. The light is Jesus. He is the picture of our Heavenly Father. Now let me quickly apply this in three ways. First way is vertical. This passage says to you and says to me, look what God has done to get us to know Him. Now think about that. Look what God has done in Jesus becoming man. Look what God has done to get us to know him. And he's given us this new heart, this new status, and this new life. Jesus became a man for you and me, identified with us, and took on. Our weakness and our frailty to make us right with God. Second point of application is horizontal. This text helps us to understand ourselves and helps us to understand people and helps us to relate to people. Look at God's relationship in the Trinity. God's relationship to himself. We were not made to be alone. We're not made to be in isolation. Jesus prays in John 17 that there might be this fellowship and relationship between the three persons of the Trinity. That's our model. To be as one as he is one. Not created to be alone, to be a loner, to be in isolation. But to get into another person's story. To get to know people and understand people. To be able to ask good questions. And to listen well. I would recommend David Pallison's little article on x-ray questions. A whole guide of the kind of questions we ask one another as we get to know people and love people and understand people and understand ourselves. Incarnation helps us understand what God has done to get us to know Him. Helps us understand how to understand and relate to people. And then thirdly, I need to ask you this. Probably the most important question of the sermon. I need to ask you this. Have you seen the light? Have you seen the light? Do you call God Father? Because that's what begins to happen when you realize you've seen the light. And God has done that work of grace in your heart, in your life. And has brought you to know and understand Jesus. And as the text says, you receive Him. Some people don't. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them right to become the children of God. And so that just assumes, being a child of God, that we have a father. Now I know this is sensitive. Because I know sometimes our earthly fathers are not all that we wanted. There are probably people here this morning that have struggled with that. I was blessed to have a father that uh, the last words he said to me as he was dying was, Son, I love you. Not everyone has had that experience. I know that. I talk to people about that all the time. But don't let that stop you in your tracks. Don't ever think that just because an earthly father is bad that you can't relate to your heavenly father. Earthly fathers are not all good. But the photograph of your heavenly father is all good. And that's what Jesus brings to us. So have you seen the light? Do you call God Father? And if you do, that helps you to fill in the blank. But it also helps you to deal with what you put in the blank. And to know that Jesus is there. He understands. He's sympathetic. And by His grace, He will lead you through the darkness. Let's pray together. Father, what an amazing text. I pray that I haven't messed it up. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the words of Scripture and apply them to our hearts. And if there is someone here this morning that has not seen the light, who doesn't understand when communion is served in just a minute, that that bread is the flesh. Jesus said, I am the bread that gives light, that gives life. Help us to want to feast, to want to know you and to realize what all you've done to make yourself known to us. We do give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.